Hi, I'm Tony Cowan Brown. And I'm Benedict Evans, and this time I'm recording. <laughs> hey, it's not bad. This has happened to us once in a hundred episodes. Yeah. Um, what do we want to talk about? Search. Search. Yes. So we are going to talk about search, which <laughs> yes, we is, are. is kind of it's a it's it's something that hasn't been strategically interesting or competitive for twenty years. I mean, it is kind of crazy that we're sat here deciding that we want to talk about search. It's kind of a wackadoo topic, but there's yeah. a lot that's happened. A lot has happened. But yeah. So in the late 90s, early 2000s, no one search isn't a thing. And then search is a thing, but no one realizes it's important. And then Google works out that it's important and how to do it. And for at least 15 years, maybe longer, Google has been sort of two or three years ahead of Bing and has always been two or three years ahead of Bing. And Bing never had a hope of ca catching up. They just spent the money and continued with five or 10%. And now Microsoft has this investment in open API, open AI. ChatGPT mm. is working and has a hundred million users. And this week, Microsoft announced that they're integrating this in the, or will integrate this into Bing and did a big event and a big demo. And Google said, oh, well, we will integrate something like this. And of course, Google and Meta have been working on this for years as well. We'll integrate something like this into search. They did a demo that produced a silly answer. The stock went down 10%. And now there's this sort of question like, does this, is, this a ch is this a chance for a shift in the market share of search? Is this, does this change the way that search works in really profound fundamental ways or what the experience is? Does it change the ad model? Does it change the profitability of the cost base? Is this an opportunity for new entrants? Does this change the whole, the, the, the stasis we've had for the last 20 years in which Google does search and Google does all this interesting stuff within it, but it's, but, but it's basically, it works kind of the way it's worked for 20 years. And hence our habits change of like how we start searching and how yes. we use search and different search engines. And this entry point, and this entry point to the internet and this entry point to e-commerce and everything else. And you said something in the first bucket that I thought was really interesting, Cov, it, and we were having this conversation prior to recording, but it actually, to you, what you were saying, if if Bing gets, you know, one or 2% more in the market, like that's a huge win for yeah. them. It's actually like at this point, Bing has nothing to lose. Yeah. Microsoft and Bing had absolutely nothing to lose, but Google is on that back foot of we do have something to lose here, which I think is, brings up an interesting dynamic as well. Exactly. And so I thought there's a sort of, there's a starting point, which is there's maybe sort of, there's sort of three, three, three sets of things to think about. There is, okay, yeah. what does this do to search? What does this do to ads? And what does this do to the cost base and the broader business, and like the CapEx and so on of all of this? And so to start with search, search, the, what was the, the, the analogy I used earlier? That imagine you go into a library and you will go up to the librarian and you ask them something. There's sort of three different things you might be asking them. The first of them mm. is, do you have Simon Sharma's The Embarrassment of Riches? And if so, do you have it in stock and where is it? Secondly, you might be asking them, where are your books on the Dutch Golden Age? And the third, on what, which books do you have and which ones are good? And the third kind of question you might be asking is, what was the Dutch Golden Age? And those are going to produce quite different kinds of answers. The first one is what we call kind of navigational search. Like, where find me this? Where is the tax office website? Um, the second one might be like, what are hotels in Amsterdam? Or what are hotels in Barcelona? Um, and the third one might be kind of, give me an itinerary for a weekend in Barcelona. And Google has been kind of moving along that path for, for 20 years. And Google has answered, done answering for a long time. You know, you can mm -hmm. ask it the weather, or you can ask it for the time in a certain place, or indeed you can ask it flights. And there's a whole structured UI around flights. And there's, and it's interesting with that is like there's a right or wrong answer with that. It's like yes. not subjective. It's not. It depends who you're asking. It is. Or it's just like it should be the same answer depending regardless it of is. who you ask. Yeah. 
it, it, there has to be a right answer, but also it has to be built by hand. So yes. Google had Google. If Google's going to give you a definition of a word, they have to have done a partnership with a, with a dictionary company, or they have to have to like build a thing to generate a definition for themselves for the internet. If you're going to ask them the what's the weather in New York, well, they have to have like done a partnership with a weather with a weather company, or they have to have built like an integration with with Android to work out what the weather is from all their Android friends or something. But somebody has to have built weather. Which is interesting because I think that's something I certainly have taken for granted of all the things that have had to be set up for me to get that answer, all of those partnerships. Which which is distinct from general web search. So there is general web search and then there is an answer where they you get a you get a structured answer on the front page ahead of the links. And all of those have to be built by hand. Which was also the problem with chatbots five years ago, which was machine learning meant you could ask Alexa a question and it could understand the question, but it could only answer ten questions. And he, and if for it to answer an eleventh question, that someone at Amazon would have to build that. Like you could ask Alexa cricket scores and it wouldn't be able to answer that unless someone at Amazon had sat down and built cricket scores. Whereas ChatGPT says, no, we'll index the entire internet. So now we can at least attempt to answer any question, just as Google can attempt to answer, can attempt to give you a link gotcha. to any question. Yeah. And so you've got this sense of like, okay, what are answers now? What could be turned into answers? What kind of things are currently served as links that could become answers? How does that intersect with... Um, and one should presume that it's not that Google's version of doing this will be worse than Bing's. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if Google's version of doing this will be better. Um, but it creates all sorts of interesting product questions as to how do you represent that. Um, and the big product question is, which is also why Google never hasn't launched this and why Facebook launched or Meta launched one of these in the summer and then withdrew it, is that it might be wrong. And, um, and there's a conversation about wrong to be had here. Well, what does wrong mean? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, I suppose the, the, so, so different ways of coming at this question. So, you know, if you ask Google 20 years ago, you'd put a search, type a search query into Google. It gives you gives you 10 links. So it's not telling you this is the answer. It's saying, here are 10 links that we think might answer your question. This might help you, yeah. And if you look at it and you go down, you might think, okay, Google sucks. Or you might think, okay, I've got the wrong query. Or you might think, okay, there isn't a good answer to this on the internet, or I can't find it, or I don't know what it is. But you wouldn't say Google's wrong, or you'd be quite unlikely to think Google's wrong. But if you go to ChatGPT and you ask it a question, it gives you one answer. And it presents that in natural language, which looks, which creates this impression of certainty. Yeah. This is his phrase, it's a confident bullshitter. Yeah. It might have exactly the same degree of certainty as the Google search engine. It's just the, the visual representation of it creates this diff quite different impression of confidence or certainty. So, so there's a one set of problems is, is how do you productize that? How do you make that into a product? How do you represent this degree of certainty to the user? The, and that's a discontinuity and an opportunity for market share change. There's a second thing like, well, what are the domains where this means something? So um, I've just published my big annual presentation and I have a bunch of slides on generative machine learning. And like there's the joke slide at the end is that there's a story that when they were casting Star Wars, they considered Burt Reynolds for the Han Solo role instead of Harrison Ford. And so I went to Midjourney and said, well, make me an image of Burt Reynolds in as Han Solo flying at the controls of the Millennium Falcon. And I get back four images and they look like Burt Reynolds. He's grinning. It looks like the Millennium Falcon. Fantastic. However, if you then go and pull up an image of Han Solo, of Harrison Ford in the cockpit the of the Millennium Falcon, like, wait, the cockpit doesn't look anything like that. Like, the buttons are all wrong. The screens are wrong. There aren't screens there. There's a, there's a control panel here. There's a corridor behind him. It's wrong. Does that matter? Yeah. And 
so uh, and sort of what I'm what I'm getting at is like if you ask it like what are symptoms of appendicitis and it makes something that looks like what descriptions of appendicitis tend to look like that will get you killed. If you ask it, um, make me a country a western song about somebody who made lots of money from social media and now thinks that social media is evil, but he's not giving the money back. It will make you a country. It will make that, and you won't look at it. It's much harder for that to be wrong. And the point is, the sort of the some domains where like a ninety percent accuracy produces a fantastic result, That's and you don't enough. see or care the last ten percent. And there's other domains where the last ten percent is a problem. Um, and how do you communicate that? How do you present that? How do you filter that? Do you decide we'll only use it for some kinds of search? Do you integrate this into the way that you produce the results for, for any kind of question? Would you do content moderation on this? Do you have a kind of a detailed, ironically, manual hierarchy of different kinds of searches where you will apply generative or this generative search in different ways? So the whole idea is it's supposed to be generalized and apply to all categories. No, actually, but no, actually, but actually do you like have to build 15 different versions for different kinds and of search? Don't you feel like we, I feel like I was doing this before as a student. There were certain things that I would happily look up on the internet and there was, and, you know, search there, horizontal search, wherever. Mm. And then there are certain things that I would like, no, I need to sit in a library and pull out a book and actually stare at it in the face. And I know that the answer that I'm, so even I remember as a student categorizing the, what I, I would have a list of the topics or the things that I needed mm. questions to or needed research on or information on. And there was stuff that I would happily go on the internet for. And there was stuff that I would happily walk into, a, that I would need to walk into a library. So yeah. I wonder if we're going to have, see more of that, of how we treat well, there's a, it occurs to me talking about this, well, there's almost yeah. like a paradox here in that um, the, what this does is allow you to do answers in a generalized way as opposed to limiting them to specific verticals. But the accuracy problem might mean that, in fact, no, you need to have much more, many more different vertical domains. And you may need to treat many different kinds of search in, in fundamentally different ways that you might yeah. need to sit and instead of saying this is navigational versus this is answer based or something, whatever the higher, whatever the taxonomy is, you might actually need to say this is a medical query. This is a car driving query. This is an electrical oh, safety query. Uh, you may need to go way really granular in different kinds of search to say, where are you going to allow someone to get a generative answer? Or do you design the product differently to try and communicate the different levels of, of response? Do you have, do you make it? Because when you do mid-journey or stable diffusion, it gives you four options and they look really different. Yeah. Do you give somebody four versions of the answer next to each other that, that are different and i i like that because i think that's how my brain works i had this conversation with a friend the other day when she was like do you because there's a later stat and i don't know how true or, or false it is that they were saying that most people in american households turn on the tv to watch and consume youtube more than they do netflix or any other um any other form of, of television and and i had a friend that was asking me like wait do you search for stuff on youtube i was like yeah every day like that's again like i will search on google and i will then open up youtube and i will search for answers on youtube and i guess that's mm. the vertical searching in in me that i just like i know there's a couple yeah. of different or, or, amazon. Am or amazon yeah um, and now we've got yes. the next generation gen z that uses tiktok for search like they when they're looking for restaurants or they're looking for tips on you know how to write your resume they now go on tiktok so it's interesting there's another thing that occurred to me what that i initially was looking at Chat, GP, chat GBT as what you were saying, the first point that you made, that it feels like it's a very good bullshitter, that it's very, it feels like they're giving you a definite answer. It feels like they're very affirmative in the answer that they're giving you. 
And I was like, okay, this feels like very closed end. So I get an answer and then I leave. But what ChatGPT also does do is it allows for conversation to happen. And I and I we were talking about this last time that I feel like I spent more time in a chat GPT conversation, just keep on reiterating on the question and asking more questions. So there's something there. Well, well, this is almost a UX, this is almost a UX yeah. point because, you know, theor theoretically you can go and refine a Google query. Yeah, but once you've left. Um, but, it's, but, but it's less, this is a more sustained, you kind of, you kind of don't go to Google and say, you go and, you go and edit the query. You also see this in, in image recognition or in chat GPT or in image generation things, which you go in, you go into mid journey and you ask for something and that's not what you, you reiterate. want. And say so you, you sit and fiddle with the query and you can, you, you reiterate the query. Um, and you kind of try, you can kind of do this in, 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 in GPT, in GPT. You're not quite sure. Is that, is that how it works? Is that, well, what is it that it's doing? But you're right that it's a UI thing though, Benedict. I hadn't thought of it. You're, it really is. Mm. And I think the sense of the four answers in images versus the one answer for chat ten blue, for, for 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 text versus the ten blue links for Google is interesting because all of those are different. What the four images and the ten links are doing is communicating uncertainty, whereas the one answer that's in text presents itself as the as the certainty far more than you get with um, than you get with the others and. It is that sense. How do you? There's a kind of, as I sort of may, 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 may have said earlier, there's a sense of how much um, does being wrong matter? Yeah. How do you communicate that it's wrong? Might be wrong, or that it's ninety percent accurate? That it's not dead certain. How also? How can you tell that it's certain? So I was having I had a call with yes. somebody earlier this morning, and so one of the other slides in my presentation on this, I had some slides on the search war, and so I had an image of Sundar. I went to um, Stable Diffusion and said, "Make me an image of Sundar Pichai as a boxer at the beginning of a boxing match," and there it is. Now, if I was actually a box, actually a boxer, I might be looking at the way that he's tied the gloves on and go, "Oh, that's wrong." I might be looking at the ropes in the ring and go, "Oh, there's four rings. There should be three, or three instead of four. I don't know. I don't know how many rings there are. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't matter at all." Unless, of course, you're doing this for a boxing magazine, in which case it would matter. Um, but the point is, you can look at the image and know whether it's wrong or not, or know whether it's wrong for your purpose. Um, if I'm not a doctor, I can't, can't say what are the, and I ask something, what are the symptoms of appendicitis? I can't tell if it's wrong. And so this is why you have GitHub saying, well, we're going to call this Copilot and like it's writing code for you, but you're a, you're a coder, you can look at it and see. You can look at it and check. And so what are the domains where, um, you can tell it's wrong versus what are the domains where being wrong is a problem. There's like an intersection there, like a two by two matrix of how much does it matter versus how much can you tell. And I also think that, and I don't know if this is a wrong way of thinking about it, but where my mind also goes is when am I getting factually accurate information? Again, to your point, whether it's 90% correct, 99% correct. When am I getting something that actually feels a lot more opinionated? And where yeah. is that coming from? And and again, yeah. like, it's, where's the, is there bias yeah, right, in that yeah. answer? Like write me a country western song is quite difficult to be wrong. Yeah. I mean, if it had said I made lots of money from Oracle, that would be wrong. <laughs> but where it says I made lots of money from social media and clicks and likes and people surfing the stream and now my bank balance is full. If it had said my bank balance is empty, that would have been wrong. But otherwise, like it's, it could be better or worse, but it can't really be wrong. Whereas if I ask it the symptoms of appendicitis, it can be wrong. Um, so wrong means different. This is the thing, the 90 percent. You're applying a statistical system to things that are sometimes probabilistic, like an image is kind of probabilistic. I mean, if it, I don't, again, if it had, had, if it had had like Orson Welles instead, or if he hadn't had a mustache, then it would have been wrong. But that kind of, 
but wrong is wrong is is on a sliding scale in some things or qualitative in some things and binary or logical in other things um so we should talk about ads yes because that's, that's the, the that's, next that's step the big next step yeah because there's an intersection here which is you know you might you know i don't want my ad next to something that's wrong or well, there's a brand safety challenge here i don't want my ad in the wrong place but there's a more fun more fundamental thing which is like a lot of these answers never had ads like if i ask it for the time in new york that didn't have an ad and it didn't have an ad whether i got an answer or i got a link like that's not really a great monetizable search if i ask for asbestos lawyers in philadelphia then whether I get that <laughs> as a power, well, because because asbestos lawyers is supposed is, is for a long time is the most valuable search term. Wait, oh wait, wait! I did not know that. Say that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who are suffering from um um, what well, I forget what the disease is. If you've inhaled okay. asbestos, this has been the most valuable search term since forever because it's personal injury. So you've got it. You get a lawyer. You sue. The lawyer makes a lot. You make you get a big payout. The lawyer it's more. So this has been one of the most valuable search terms forever. Wow. Okay, did not know that. Random, Moving okay. on, random facts, love it. Moving on. Okay, be that as it may, if you go and search for, I don't know, car insurance, if it gives you a paragraph of text talking about car insurance, there can be a Geico ad next to that or in that. That doesn't, it's no different in principle to can there be, a, can you monetize that search? Absolutely. The challenge is, is it the same search? Because it's no longer just a list of links and we're paying to have your link, the first link. Is the link in the text? What does it look like? How, what in very specific, you know. It's not a UI question. Remember the story, you remember the story of Google testing like 38 different shades of blue. Yes, uh, I do remember that. There is, in principle, yes, you can throw ads in here. How exactly you do that and what that does to the monetization rate or the click-through rate or the auction model, that's a whole other question. Like it's a different ad product with a different org chart, a different culture, a different way of selling, different kind of customer, a whole customer education journey. Um, at the end of the day, it might be 10% more profitable. It might be 20% less profitable. Um, it's certainly you change what the ad model is in a way that we haven't really done in sort of 15 to maybe 20 years. Um, and you change the org chart, you change the people who are doing it. Um, you change what people are buying. Like as, a, as, a, as, as an advertiser, what am I buying exactly? I'm now buying paying for my ad to appear in a machine learning written piece of qualitative assessment of which machine which insurance I should buy now that's a am I, am I doing that or am I buying a box next to it next that's not in the flow what's the click through for those what are the what's the product look like I mean I'm just like free like brainstorming here but like the point is you'll change what the product is, is. you have to and therefore, like, that creates discontinuities and, and scope for market share shift, perhaps. I guess the big question about this new way, I'm just going to call it new way of searching, does this replace the existing models of search or does this add to a new model, i.e. you go on Google, then you go on YouTube, then you go on, you know, is this another thing that sits on the side or is this going to replace what we currently have in the system that we already have working for us? Well, this is sort of this is sort of an interesting kind of paradox here because, like, if we've said um, that this generalizes, and now you can supply answers to any kind of question, but it might be that now, you know, if you're Google, you say, okay, we're going to separate out medical searches, we're going to separate out um, 
electrical safety searches. We're going to separate out driving questions. We're going to we're going to end up with a taxonomy, a manually curated taxonomy of thirty different kinds of search that get different kinds of UI or different which levels will of impact accuracy. The ads and, yeah. Which will impact the ads, also impact product. Um, but there's a paradox. Like you, you propose that now you've got a generalized way of doing this, but actually you need to make 20 different generalized ways of doing this, depending on what the domain is, because it matters. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of an, an interesting puzzle. I mean, again, it's a productization question, not a non-engineering question. Um, obviously, that is engineering, but it's a different kind of question to how reliable is the model. Um, and then for the ads, again, like where do you put the ads? How do the ads work? How does brand safety work? How do you switch those across? Um, is this a discontinuity in... Um, and all of these things, when you change the whole UX, then you create opportunities to change market share. Because people, because if people are trying something different, then they're trying something different. I mean, so the, I, I wrote something in 2016, um, being kind of a naval history geek, um, that the Royal Navy in the early 1900s launched a ship called HMS Dreadnought, which okay. was was basically the first battleship, to the extent that all the other ships that were then called battleships before are now called pre-Dreadnought battleships. Um, it's kind of like the way the iPhone is like the first smartphone, even though there are lots of other things before that have got touch screens or got apps or got. But the iPhone is sort of the first or the kind of completely new kind of of, of, of thing. And HMS Dreadnought, again, is like complete. Every, the day it's launched, every other ship afloat is obsolete. And this creates a problem because the Royal Navy for the previous 20 or 30 years has been funded on the basis that it will be stronger than the next two navies, next two navies on Earth combined. It's called the two power rule. So not only, not only is it stronger than the French, it's stronger than the French and the Germans, or stronger than the French and the Americans or, um, combined. And so the day the Dreadnought is launched, the Royal Navy has something like 30 battleships, and the Germans have got like 10. The day after the Dreadnought is launched, the Royal Navy has one, because all the others are obsolete. And so when trying to catch up with 30 battleships is just pointless, because you'll never be able to do it, because you'll never be able to spend enough money to do that. Catching up with one... Okay, so now you've kind of reset that incumbent advantage. And so this is sort of the Microsoft hope is that they've sort of reset this incumbent advantage with a change in the experience. I mean, for the sake of argument, presume that the chat GPT will be 10% worse than Google. I mean, maybe not, maybe it'll be 10% better, but the point is consumers will not care anymore. They will, the experience will be so different that you'll kind of reset um, people's presumptions and people's kind of default choice. Yeah. And that's always the question, isn't it? Do you do something that's fundamentally different, that feels different, or do you do something that doesn't disrupt people's existing workflows too much, but then there is going to be that comparison that this is, feels like the same, but it's worse, or it feels like the same, it's only slightly better. So what's the point of changing? Yeah, But it is kind of crazy to think that this this space has been undisrupted for what, 20, 20 yeah, years? A, and that all of a sudden it's been... All of a sudden you have you have this shift. Um I think one one sort of sort of shouldn't underestimate that a huge part of you know there's a sort of people talk about network effect. I think a big part of the Google advantage is the huge amount of institutional knowledge of what kinds of things people do, what kinds of data there are, how you handle those. Now that can be a huge advantage or a huge disadvantage. Um, I mean, the kind of yeah. the ultimate. There's an extreme case case study here would be that when the iPhone launches, Nokia and BlackBerry basically making phones on the presumption that you have to use as little bandwidth as possible because network is really scarce and and really expensive Re ne network capacity is very scarce and very expensive you have to have a battery that lasts for a week and if you drop it on concrete it has to bounce and in 2000 that was the right assumption 
By 2007 or 8, Apple says, yes, but if you jettison those assumptions, the experience that it is now possible to make is so different that people will switch. And here we are 15 years later. And again, you know, if you drop your phone, battery lasts for a day. And if you drop it, it breaks. And But, it, but it's worth it in order for, for the experience. And so you could propose if you were being, um, okay, the search has to be 100, but it has, the search has to be right and it has to appear instantly. Is that there was still the right assumption? Which is a good way actually to segue to talk about CapEx, which is sort of the third bullet point here. And the thing here is there's sort of two parts to this. One of them is ChatGPT is frozen in time. It's a it's a it's an it's a it's a it's a dump of the internet from 2001, which is why if you ask it about stuff that's happened more recently, often it doesn't have it. It's a great point though, yeah. And so we're indexing the internet continuously, which is I mean Google obviously isn't indexing every second, but like they come back and like look at every website and like all the time. So how keeping that model fresh is going to be extremely expensive because you're not just scanning all that index scanning all the time, you're training, retraining the model all the time. Yeah. And then running the inference is going to be really expensive. Actually running your each every single user query through that machine learning model to generate the answers instead of just, you know, doing the database lookup, which obviously Obviously, it's not just a database lookup. It's much more complicated than that. But like, this is going to be computationally or potentially computationally much more expensive, which gets you to this point about the Bing margin, which is kind of an interesting kind of mathematical point, which is, you know, Bing has 5% share, and this gets them to 10% at a third less margin than Bing are ahead. Google has lost 5% share, and they're now at a third less margin. Google has lost massively. And so this is explicitly what Satya Nadella has been saying is there's so much margin here and we've got so little market share that it's worth uh, for us, for, for Microsoft, it's worth gaining share if the margin in the whole, in, even if the industry is worth the margin in the whole industry coming down. Yeah, they, they just have share upside. Because yeah. it's just upside. Whereas for Google, in principle, yeah. is, this, is this all downside? Maybe. Which, which is, is, why the, a, yeah. which is really why the Google share is down. That's it, yeah. Google share price is down because there's a theoretically like Google's Google's operating margin. If you exclude TOC, which is another interesting conversation. So Google pays Apple pays Apple probably close to $20 billion to be the default search engine on the iPhone. So that's TOC. If you exclude that Google operating margins are core operating margins for the, like the actual core search and advertising business are like 60%. What kind of CapEx are we talking about to run every single search through an LLM? and to train an LLM on the entire internet every hour or every day or whatever it is. I'd have no idea, but it's more now. How is that going to change? What's that going to look like? How is that going to move over time? Um, Apple is sitting here they're rubbing their hands because Apple is saying, well, we all of our customers have paid for the compute. <laughs> our customers, I mean, in a sense, this is like the second wave of apps because one response to this is you shift as much as you possibly can onto the smartphone because your smartphone i mean if you just bought an iphone 14 like i mean we kind of think of google or meta as having like infinite compute resource but like look at their average revenue per user and their capex as opposed to what you spend on your phone and the cost of the compute capacity in your phone especially in the us where everyone's buying five hundred thousand dollar phones but anywhere else as well you know, you've got this thing that's got, you know, tens of billions of transistors in it. So there will be this massive push to kind of shift as much compute as you can down onto the device. I hadn't thought of those two last pieces of how that's going to impact. I mean, this has always been been Apple's strategic story is we have local, we have a lot of local compute. 
in a completely different field in one of the um i think it was in the epic role seat there's this email from craig federighi came out where he's a he's a like senior software guy at, at apple and someone had sort of said so there's this cloud gaming startup um and it's probably for sale we should buy it and then we would be able to like stream applications down onto phones instead of people having to install them and craig Federighi's email gives a guy kind of a metaphorical slap on the back of the head and says, look, what we sell is compute capacity. That's what we can, what, what's the strategic advantage to us in making compute capacity not matter? Like, why does that, like, what's the, what, that's a big strategic shift. Like, if we're going to do that, like we do, there should be a better reason than this startup's available. But I've had this conversation with a guy at Google, like, in like 2015 or something where he said, you know, the cost and it is even trivial things like the power budget to turn the radio on and something to send something to Google is more than the power budget to do it on the device generally, because the cost of turning the radio on is what uses the battery almost more than anything else. So you want to do it on the very often you want to do it on the device if you can. But you know, what's fascinating with this is just that realization of the cost of having all of this stuff run is so expensive and high. And I don't think most of us are able to wrap our heads around what it means when we're saying, can we just do X or we're just do Y? Or... Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, there's, 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 you know, Google, um, TSMC, Samsung, and Intel will spend, I don't know, 100, 150 billion dollars on capex this year, um, which is to make chips, and a lot of those chips are going to data centers. Um, a lot of them are going to Google and Apple and Facebook. And half of Am half of Amazon's capex goes to AWS, um, and so there's going to be a compute budget to this, and this is like part of the. You know, going back to our, what we were saying at the beginning, the sort of three searchy questions in here. That's it. Is one is, okay, well, how does this change the search product? Which is a big question, a lot of big questions. Yeah. The and with the is, product, how do we yeah. change our habits and all of that? Right? Yes, which yep. is, to me, is more interesting than does does Bing, does everyone move to Bing? Um, that I'm, I'm less interested in. I don't think, you know, to me, it's much less more interesting to say how does search product change than is Bing's model going to be better than Google's, which I, I kind of, there's less interesting to me. The second is, okay, well, this changes search. This changes ads a lot. And it's not that there won't be ads. It's just that the ads will work differently. They'll look different. They need to function differently. People receive them differently. We engage with them in a yeah. different way. Yep. And then the third is like, you know, I've gone, we've all kind of gone through waves of playing chat, playing with chat GPT and playing with stable diffusion and mid journey. Like, when's the last time you spent this long watching a progress bar? Truly. Like, I haven't spent this much time looking at a progress bar since, like, the 90s. Or being delighted to spend time in a chatbot and just, like, reiterate. And I'm yeah. just like, this is insane. Normally, when you have that, it's with customer support. And you're just like, next, next, next. I'm still here. And you just want to get out of it. Whereas here, you're just like, yeah. it's, but, and it, that's part of the UI as well. But that's, is... but that's compute. I mean, why, you know, why do you buy, why would you buy a new computer that was faster? I mean, this is, you know, we've all kind of had this experience of, you know, you're kind of, you, we all, most people on this, like, buy a good computer, but like, I bought the new MacBook Air the M, with the M1, like last year's one, or two, two years ago, the first MacBook Air with the M1. And it was like a step change faster than the Mac I had before. Okay, this is good. Now they release a new one, it's 50% faster, 25%. Will I be able to tell the difference running Keynote and a web browser and email and Excel? No, I will not be able to tell. Would I be able to tell running stable diffusion? Oh, suddenly I get that image back in 10 seconds instead of 20 seconds. Oh, no, that. Oh, now I can tell. Now there's a reason to upgrade. So there's a there's like a PC upgrade cycle point here. They're basically by TSMC stock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a PC upgrade cycle point in this. And then there is a um, Apple. Well, not to some extent Apple, but certainly Meta Google. Facebook, 
particularly Google CapEx point in this. And then there's one more thing, and then we should wrap up, which is there's been this whole story from newspapers coming and going over the last couple of years of um, Google and Facebook get value from the fact that there are links to our stuff on their websites, therefore they should pay us. And there's 10 different, and there's like 10 different reasons this is just obvious bullshit. And not least of which, what a, yep. not least of which, what about all the other websites that they? Or how do you even go about implementing this? It just yeah. Why yet. is it? Why why is it that they're only paying you and all the other websites that they link? Um, but it was basically bullshit, because what ultimately what Google and Facebook were doing was driving traffic to the newspapers. But in this model, you might have an awful lot less click through. Because you're not going anywhere. Yeah, and so there might be a much broader category. I mean, we, we've talked about ads, of course. They, in thing, the, the stuff that's monetizable, you'll have click through. I want the asbestos lawyer. I'm going to click on the asbestos law, or I'm going to tap on this to send them a message or something. So I'm going to have the engagement that the advertiser wants. But if I'm going to um, say, you know, write me an itinerary for hotels, restaurants, and architecture in Barcelona. I'm going to get less, going to produce less click through. And so that's going to be less traffic for Condé Nest Traveler. It's going to be less traffic for Time Out. It's going to be less traffic for whatever the, the New York Times, 36 hours in Barcelona, whatever it is. And so you would see a shift in traffic towards that aggregator layer, whether it was Google or, or Bing or some new site. Um, and what does that mean? You know, as a do you and what is the copy and the copyright implications of that become much more real? Because, you know, when you were saying you have linked to my site, you owe me copyright payment. This is bullshit. You know, if I write a restaurant review, I'm not infringing and I describe the meal. I'm not infringing your copyright. If I write a hotel guidebook and I tell people what all the hotels are, I don't have to pay the hotels. I'm sending them business. Yes, I'm making money from it, but I'm sending them business. But if I am now going to describe everything that you've written about, but not send you the traffic, that's a very different thing to Google or, or Meta having links. And another way of kind of thinking about, well, how do we remake the internet? That's Web3. Maybe that's Web3. Crypto is Web4. This is Web3, which is if, if all the, if, if everything shifts to a search, to a check, to a search result, right, wait a minute, I wrote that. Why is that on your website and I'm not getting paid? That's very different to you linked to me and I'm not getting paid. And people aren't coming to me because you've succinctly yeah, <laughs> taken out of my free pager the 10 pieces that you yeah. need to know and then the buck stops there. And yeah, That's a good place to, to terrify people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good to chat. Good to chat.